Welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots, a show by Javinity produced for Unchained TV. We talk about public and planetary health and all the dots that join these with veganism and a whole food plant-based lifestyle. I'm your host, Nivi Jaswal, and we'll be talking about a holistic medicine modality today. Welcome, Dr. Mansi Vera. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Nivi, for inviting me and uh, introducing me to Divinity and Unchained TV. Also, thank you for this opportunity. Most welcome. Let's dive right into it. What's your story? How did you choose your path? Yeah, so the story begins since um, since childhood, since I can barely even remember. Um, and I remember growing up like you know, being active and participating in various sports, um, but still not feeling like my other friends. I always felt a little different. And like, by different, I mean, I, I had allergies, I had ongoing stomach issues, I had asthma, I couldn't understand why certain foods weren't working well for me, or I would um, really like have um, allergic reactions or a lot of pain in my body. Um, I also was weak muscularly but we didn't understand that uh growing up either so i had you know i've done the big uh mris and other tests and colonoscopies and and as a child these things are a little scary they're overwhelming and i couldn't okay. understand but um with all of that i've done so much blood work um and most things would come out normal so my doctors would dismiss me um saying like you're okay you're fine and they wouldn't listen to my symptoms. They And they weren't necessarily um, willing to put the time in to connect those dots that like, why are these symptoms happening? Um, so a lot of, you know, a lot of my interest sparked um, just because I wanted a different path. I wanted answers, of course, but I also wanted to feel better. So I was introduced to meditation at an early age. I was introduced to Panchkarma um, when I was only 13 and I did it. And, you know, it was interesting because when I actually got acquainted with holistic medicine, that's the first time I started to feel better or learn how to get there. So my, my symptoms didn't necessarily stop, but I was able to learn how to cope and manage better, um, something that the pill pushing did not ever help. Um, and then flashback to now, I, I am actually finally diagnosed with multiple conditions that explain so much of my past uh, history. So um, I think I just wanted to be the doctor that I never had and going into a field that allows me to listen to my patients and really take a holistic and individualized approach. Um, that's what got me here. Right. That's such a brilliant story, even though there's, you know, a lot of pain that you had to go through with needles and, and getting all these diagnostics and uh, the lens of Western medicine, it sounded like just didn't work because they couldn't find, uh, you know, what was wrong. And, um, you know, I, we've all encountered this word called idiopathic, right? Well, it's like, okay, we don't know, this must be an idiopathic thing. And it has unknown mysterious origin. And, and sometimes, um, you know, with lack of bedside manner, I, I would say some practitioners might even say, oh, it's all in your head, right? So many times. <laughs> yes. Yes. So um, exactly. As, as a naturopathic doctor that you chose to become, um, you're now able to offer that empathy um, to your patients as well and, and to really offer them that listening ear. So as a naturopathic doctor, um, the first question is, what is naturopathic medicine. You know, if you can share a little bit about that with us. Yeah, absolutely. So naturopathic medicine, at least in the U.S., how it's practiced is a form of primary care um, utilizing the various modalities that we have, which I'll go into in just a bit. Um, and we're approaching um, healing functionally and holistically. So it's um, using the principles of the body has an innate and powerful healing capacity. 
and also the principles of um, preventative medicine and mind-body medicine. So we're really treating the the mental, physical, spiritual aspect of, of the body. Um, that's not to say that we don't do blood work. We don't take that preventative approach. We have been trained in pharmaceuticals um, as well. So we're working with the patients and meeting them where they are in their journey. Um, and it differs a little bit from India in the sense that in India, it's still very rooted in a non-drug, non-supplemental approach to healing. So we, um, like in India, we also use the modalities of homeopathy, um, uh, hydrotherapy, botanical medicine, um, and then the, the physical therapeutics as well. So we have many, many tools in our toolbox. In, in the US, I feel like everything that's not allopathic medicine is then categorized as naturopathic almost. Um, so then we also integrate Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine as well into our practice. Wow, I mean, you've got a huge repertoire then, right? Yeah. And and so you know, some sometimes people would say that oh, I'm seeing a naturopath. And so please uh, develop this distinction for us, for our audience. What is the difference between naturopathic medicine, somebody who who is an ND, uh, that's the initial to look for, versus a naturopath? And and you gave us this distinction as well, but I'll let you talk to it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a very, very important distinction. And I, I wish and pray everyone that is thinking to visit a naturopathic doctor actually goes through this process of, um, you know, just interviewing the doctor. Have they studied at a accredited um, CNME accredited school? Have they studied in a program that is on site with uh, four years of training, including clinical training, um, 4,100 hours of didactic and clinical experience as well, because um, naturopaths don't have this training at all. They, they learn mostly on an online platform, so they don't get any in-person or clinical experience, um, and they are not licensed. So licensure can be a tricky, um, tricky concept, which I know we'll be talking about in a bit as well. Um, but uh, anyone that has graduated from a CNME accredited program, if they are in a license, licensable state, they can practice as a licensed doctor. Naturopaths who have not uh, studied in any of these programs cannot, no matter what state they reside in. So there are big differences. And yeah, you, you know, to to the audience, to the public, thinking about working with a naturopathic doctor, I think it's really important because we have been trained in pharmaceuticals as well, and most of the population is going to be on medications, and there are profound drug, 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 herb um, in, um, interactions that we have to be watching out for, and um, it sometimes can become more dangerous if you're not working with someone who's trained with that background. Right, and I guess that the, that would also imply reimbursement, that somebody has you know, licensure, and, and they're able to operate in one state versus the other. And we will talk about that in a bit. Um, uh, so uh, are naturopathic doctors, you know, do, do you guys fall under the ambit of reimbursement versus naturopaths don't? Tell us a little bit about that. That is true. Naturopaths cannot fall under that reimbursement category because, you know, they're not licensed in any state. So there's no insurance coverage uh, for them. For naturopathic doctors, if you are in a licensed state, um, you can choose to uh, work with insurance for that reimbursement. Um, but many don't just because it's the the pay scale is different, and it's it's very different and difficult and challenging for naturopathic doctors when we're working against a whole team of allopathic doctors around us. Um, and so many will actually choose to do private consultations and private practice and not accept insurance, but it, it can vary um, a lot. So that's something that you can look into. All right. That's interesting to know. I mean, we're, our healthcare system is just so lopsided, right? It's dominated by big pharma, big surgery and big med devices, and it doesn't leave uh, enough room for other modalities, which often are less harmful to, you know, the rest of the body. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, you're trying to fix an organ at the cost of some others. And, and that often doesn't make any sense. Um, so 
talk to us about this licensure part, if there is anything else that you'd like to share about naturopathic medicine licensing in North America. Mm -hmm. So this, this graphic is really good because the dark uh, teal, uh, not the darkest color, but the, the second dark color um, represents the licensed states currently. So there's 22 states that are currently licensed for naturopathic medicine. Um, so that's including also um, North America, so um, regions in Canada as well. Um, that's a little different, but our scope of practice is essentially the same. So in these 22 states, um, the scope still varies state to state. So what might be able to be practiced in California may not be able to be practiced in Connecticut, for example. So it, it's unfortunate because of that licensure discrepancy. Um, there were not necessarily uh, looked upon as this unified force, the unified naturopathic doctor force. Of course, our um, our profession is is working so hard to to get there to to be able to get the same scope um, in each state. But unfortunately, like you mentioned, a lot of the state legislators are influenced by the big pharma companies as well. So it's like where there's more money, there's going to be more. Um, of an opinion held. And so it's it's a challenge. We're working on it currently in um, New Jersey as well. I'm on the board for licensure committee, um, but it's it's a challenge. And I, I just wish more and more people would be able to go see naturopathic doctors and then be able to convince their legislators, like this is actually what mainstream medicine should be. And the drugs and the surgeries and all of that should be coming after. Right, and, and then um, if the scope is different from state to state and there isn't a unified platform, unified scope, unified, you know, here's, here's what you get, regardless of where you go in North America or at least in, in this country, um, it also becomes a question of access. Absolutely. So people, and, and then before even access, uh, you know, a question of awareness. So a lot of people don't know. So for instance, before we spoke, I did not know there was a difference between naturopathic doctor, licensed naturopathic, you know, medicine doctor trained clinically and, and all of the didactic, you know, principles and, and the grounding that you have. Um, and, and versus somebody who's a naturopath where education is mostly online and, and that, working with somebody like you means that there's drug drug interactions you mentioned the drug herb interactions etc that you can supervise and and you can have over the capability to oversee that right and you can prescribe drugs as well in certain states so that's again it depends on the scope of that state so in you know in vermont for example i could prescribe drugs as well um, but in connecticut we weren't able to where where i was training where my school was at Okay, so so that's a, a distinction to know in scope. Now you also mentioned that there are Ayurvedic modalities that you know people can avail of, right? So you have just so many different things that you can offer. It's an it's a menu almost. So so tell me which state in the United States has the largest scope at this point? Who who's the most open to um, giving you guys the ability to really flex your muscles? Yeah, I think Vermont, uh, Washington, and Oregon are the bigger ones, the, you know, the West Coast is a little bit more open to these modalities anyway. So California um, included Arizona as well. But yeah, the East Coast needs a little bit more help in, in getting there. Need a little bit more nudge. Okay, right. So, um, so you talked about the differences between naturopathic medicine and naturopath. That's very useful for our audience to know. You've spoken about licensure. So when people are looking for, if anyone watching this is looking to work with a naturopathic doctor, how can they find out? Is there a directory you recommend people go check out? Yeah, I mean, there there is um, naturopathic.org, uh, NMI. Um, there's... If you if you also Google start Googling with naturopathic medicine for your state, you will find the state website as well. Um, most states are working on on that at least to have a statewide um, directory to find naturopathic doctors in that state. 
Um, so yeah, so and we have our American Association of Naturopathic Physicians um, as well. So that's the global entity trying so hard and working so hard to get that scope um, equal across all the states and also to get all the states licensed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, we ha- we have that and that um, you know that entity uh, has their own website and a lot of useful guides and um, information about naturopathic medicine and and what we do and and all of the questions that you just asked too. Um, it, it lays it out really well. So if you're interested, definitely go check out the AAMP. Great. So an AAMP is American Academy. American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. You know, we'll be sure to include that in the show notes. All right. Okay. So, um, did you always plan on becoming a doctor? I I think so. I I mean, so up until the age of maybe like ten or eleven, I think I wanted to be a teacher for a long time, and I would like play like pretend to be a teacher at home and like make worksheets and all of that. And I think I I still enjoy that aspect of teaching. Um, And naturopathic medicine specifically, I think allows me to really incorporate that aspect of um, educating my patients and teaching them, empowering them to take um, health in their own hands. So yeah, I I feel like I've been wanting to be a doctor since the age of 13. So yeah, quite a long long time now. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, in the morning I was watching um, interview and and they spoke they were talking about trauma uh, informed healing and a lot of us go through so much and you know oftentimes some of those conditions are named and, and some are not depending on who we've spoken to and you've given that personal example as well as well and oftentimes trauma and those adverse earlier experiences in our life leave us feeling powerless so the solution to trauma this interview mentioned isn't um help you know the solution to trauma is empowerment and if there is a modality and it sounds as though you're practicing it you know with naturopathic um, medicine that it's more empowering versus just pushing a pill or a potion or a surgical alternative oh 100 and you articulated that so beautifully and uh, and i'll be honest even though i am in the doctor's role um with this recent diagnosis, I am also a patient. And so I'm working through a lot of these um, traumas as well, going through situations where I almost did not survive. And that's happened multiple times and and not realizing that that's a lot of trauma that's just being built up in my body. And now um, releasing it is going to be equally important in my uh, recovery or just management of, of my health. So, uh, and I think I'm lucky to have chosen this profession because I don't think if I had gone the allopathic route, I would have that time to pause and reflect and even understand that like there's some force beyond us, beyond just the medicines working. And, um, and, and oftentimes that might be the reason why medicines don't work. Um, they only work to a certain extent. But the rest is the inner healing that we have to do, whether it's trauma or, you know, mental health uh, illness or or whatever it is. But it's only half the battle when when we're trying to heal, I think. Yeah. So how what is your self-care? What does it look like? So currently, um, I'll, I'll share what I do currently. And also just growing up, I, I did yoga um, kind of religiously and meditated every day. And I think that put me in a place, somehow the universe really, it, they, it knew that I was going to face a lot of trouble. So it put me in a place to be able to maybe handle it better and manage it a little bit better than others might have. Um, and I think that practice of doing yoga um, and meditation daily now has expanded. I'm not able to do yoga as much, um, like physical things, but the meditation and affirmations and gratitude, like writing in my gratitude journal um, daily, and also some healing. Um, So I do like the chakra meditations um, and trying to heal each chakra because a lot of the traumas are root are you know situated within the body different muscle layers and different chakras can help to um, kind of clean and heal that so I feel like right now I dedicate like maybe three four hours a day just just to myself and my self-care right and and would um, can people expect 
um, naturopathic, you know, physicians to understand and be fluent in yoga and, uh, you know, breath work and, and different modalities there. There's Kriya Yoga, there's Pranayama, there are just so many different type of breathing practices. You know, can patients or, or clients looking to work with a variety of naturopathic medicine, you know, practitioners expect them to know this? Is this something that you guys uh, get taught or is, is this out of your own experience and curiosity? Both. Um, so we are, I feel like we are exposed to so much in our curriculum. Like our four years are kind of more challenging than the allopathic model, I would say, because we're learning almost three different medicines at once. We're learning the allopathic model uh, completely. And then we're also learning naturopathic and the Eastern uh, philosophies like Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. So we in our program, at least, we were exposed to breath work and exposed to just the concept of yoga and um, meditation. And it, then it's almost like up to us if we want to explore something further or gain more credibility or just become more trained in one particular area, um, we can. And so there are doctors, naturopathic doctors, who are well-versed in in the different types of yoga practices and the different types of breathing practices because there's a lot of that um, I kind of did something similar to I, I became a breath coach um, so I do breath work training uh, with my patients as well and it's you know it's going through the training I realize it's it's really not much different than what just our basic you know our root teaches us um, Ayurvedic roots teach us about breathing and breath work and how just a few simple breaths can really turn the parasympathetic mode on and turn the sympathetic mode off. So it's yeah. so powerful. Absolutely. I would love for you to talk a little bit about the sympathetic as well as the parasympathetic, you know, if, if you're able to share. Um, yeah. and, and maybe before we end this conversation, you can take us through, you know, a minute of Work. breathing and and then we can you know wrap up our interaction so so talk to us about and the autonomic nervous system and then within that the two branches and what's the deal like how does it yeah. you know govern our emotions and our stability from a day-to-day -day? yeah absolutely um so the autonomic nervous system it's it's the nervous system that we don't have any control of. We don't actually think about breathing, right? It's just happening automatically. Um, and, and then you can further divide that autonomic nervous system into the sympathetic and parasympathetic uh, nervous systems. So the sympathetic, um, I like to explain it in terms of like running from a bear. So like you're hiking and 20 feet ahead of you, you see a bear and you're like, oh, my goodness, I need to get out. Um, and yes, maybe the rules are you don't run and you just stay there. But one part of you is definitely thinking like, I got to run. So yeah. what happens at that time, the liver metabolizes um, glucagon. So you're like your bo body is flooded with um, sugar to that energy for your muscles to just run. Um, and you'll notice when you're in those types of situations, you can do things that you never thought was possible. So you can run faster than you ever had. Um, your pupils will dilate. Um, and you will, uh, you know, your heart will start racing really fast. Um, you'll get that rush of adrenaline to be able to do that in the first place. So that's all the fight or flight or freeze. Um, that's what it's called. And um, yet your body's just ready to flight, flight from the whatever that thing is, that trigger is. So in the yeah. Um, and then the parasympathetic mode is the complete opposite. It's, it's considered our rest and digest uh, nervous system. So that's when you're able to, you know, that's when our breathing slows down, our heart rate slows down. We're able to, yeah, like that's when we meditate. When we meditate, our parasympathetic system is activated uh, when we're breathing, doing deep breathing as well. Um, anything creative and, um, you know, like yoga also is, about activating that parasympathetic nervous system. And digestion is, um, is when it's best um, at that state. So I, I talk about digestion mostly because a lot of um, complaints I get are GI system related or like that anxiety um, and the gut brain connection is huge, right? So we can't, we can't forget about one when we're talking about the other. 
And um, when we're in the sympathetic mode, our digestion is shut off. Um, and that's because all the energy is going to our heart and lungs to be able to run away from that, um, like the bear. So we as a society are now mostly operating in the sympathetic nervous system state. Our work habits, you know, like waking up early, getting caffeinated, and then being on the phone all day, like that constant stimulation, we're always in that fight or flight mode without even recognizing it. And it's causing a lot of health issues um, for a lot of people because digestion is not well, you're always feeling anxious, your heart rate is high, and um, it's, it's just not the right state to be in. We should right. be in the parasympathetic nervous system for 75% of the day, if not more. And I think right now, we're not even getting to like 50%. So it's, it's a big big deal yeah. i totally see that you know it's it's um we live in a, a a realm or a world of haptic nudges right thanks to all these amazing wristables and wearables and whatnot and and you get notifications and every single time there's a notification you know your heart jumps because it's like you've been reminded and you've been physiologically reminded and and so we may not have saber-toothed tigers and, and the bears anymore around us and we've built these structures of physical protection but we don't have much of a protection from a neural neurophysiological vasovagal standpoint and and our vagal tone suffers because we're constantly in the sympathetic mode Oh, absolutely. And you said it exactly the way it is. It, it's just um, so much of that sympathetic stimulation that we, you know, everything kind of builds towards that in our life nowadays. And we need to really reverse it if we want to reverse cardiovascular disease, if we want to free ourselves from anxiety and, and more. Right. Great. Okay. And on top of everything, we have a global pandemic. How do you think that impacts people at this point? And, and uh, you know, as you describe that, if you can share with us a little bit around, you know, the type of consultations that you've been getting and, you know, we don't want any names of patients, but, you know, you did offer uh, an image. I'm just going to share that once you, you know, share with us as well. What are the types of people that come to you, especially during the pandemic? Um, who are you helping? How are you helping them? Yeah, um, so it's funny because I launched my practice during the pandemic to begin with. Um, and yeah, it, it's very, very interesting to see because when we're in that um, fight or flight mode, which we are, when we're not sure about the future, that creates a lot of fear. And that fear, the body can't distinguish like a actual fear from a made up fear or something that's not as actually fearful. Um, so the body just can't distinguish from from what, whatever it is, and will still stimulate the same response. So your cortisol will initially go high, you'll have that fast breathing, that fast heart rate. Um, and I feel like the first few months of the pandemic, I saw a lot of people with anxiety or reaching out to me because okay. they have anxiety or they're, they have palpitations. And Yes, of course, we have to be careful um, and make sure it rule out that there's no other underlying disease going on. But for the most part, it was anxiety and almost everyone at some level experiencing that. So it also goes to show like the energy of the world or what what state we're in. But but when you look at it from a disease perspective, also, um, when you, when we're in a, the mode of fear and um, our body's trying to just survive, um, we're not in the best state of health either. Where it's a it's kind of a reduced energy state for our body, and so disease has a more way of just taking um, residence in the body too. So for when when we're looking at it from a naturopathic or holistic standpoint, it's it's equally important to be able to um, help with the anxiety because that will prevent you from becoming. Um, succumb to any illness as well. You want to be in a state where you feel empowered and uh, protected and you have the right tools in the toolbox to know like, okay, if, if it happens, like here are the supplements that I can take, here are the home remedies I can do, here are the medications that I can take and not be in that state of fear where you're just like almost paralyzed and you, and you don't know what to do. Right. Um, 
And, and, and Dr. Vera, talk to us about how, you know, the role that nutrition plays in this as well. When people, you know, come to you with palpitations, with anxiety, they're fearful. My God, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my relationships. You know, this pandemic has upended everything. Um, what role do you see nutrition play? I cannot stress the importance of nutrition enough because um, we also live in a culture where we're eating processed foods, high sugar foods, um, foods that don't really support our gut health in, in any way. Um, and that messes up our gut flora. So when we're seeing a lot of these things like anxiety and depression and fear, um, yes, those are all valid emotions to feel. But no one's looking at the root cause of it. Why did it actually happen? The pandemic is one reason, but a lot of people suffered before as well. And so, so what is going on at that gut level? And nutrition can nutrition is so powerful. The concept of food as medicine, you know, it really is um, if you treat it like that. So, um, making sure we're getting natural probiotics, leafy greens, those high nutrient dense foods, um, foods packed with fiber, so we're not having like those sugar spikes going on because the sugar spikes will literally cause that high and that low. And then people are wondering, why do I feel like bipolar? Why do I feel high and low in different points of the day? Well, this is one of the reasons because we're not using nutrition optimally um, to help support our natural day, like awake and sleep cycles. We're not, we're using caffeine instead. So all of, all of these things play a huge role. Um, and I work with uh, patients, I guess with every single patient, I work um, on using nutrition and food as medicine. Yeah. And, and you hit upon a very important thing, you know, about how our gut flora, those archaic organisms that reside inside our intestinal system, which is so complex, and it's often called the second brain in our body, how those gut flora don't like processed foods. They don't like uh, inflammatory foods. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I, I, I want to shift our conversation a little bit to um, the differences, um, or even the prana, if you can talk a little bit prana or the energy of you know all the leafy greens and the fruits and the vegetables and the high fiber micronutrient dense foods that you mentioned versus you know animal-based foods um that may not have it right and and just the other day i was reading a research i think it was a poll uh you know that was released that said um over half of americans you know uh, are, uh, don't see any linkages between why they should be giving up meat and, you know, and, and they don't feel a state of readiness. It, uh, that poll said um, that they were ready to do that. Obviously, they're not connecting the dots. So, so connect the dots for us, Dr. Vera. Yeah, I mean, we live on this earth. Mother Earth gave us uh, so much to eat um, that's natural, that grows underground or on, on above ground. Um, and it's filled with nutrients, like you said. It's filled with everything we need. If we're, if we're not able to supplement, um, but we're eating a whole foods plant-based diet, very likely you won't even need many supplements. Um, more than like the b12 and vitamin d for example and, and that says a lot right um you don't need extra supplements to to go to the bathroom to have a bowel movement whereas um you know that's one of the main things i see with people who eat a lot of meat in in their regular diet they're they're always constipated or they're always having um uh pain or like bloating and and gas and that's because we're not uh, you know the meat doesn't feed the flora in the way that perhaps nature has wanted a, wanted it to happen. Of course, there's, you know, research otherwise, and a lot of people, a lot of researchers and scientists and doctors as well promoting meat. And, and I feel like that's, that's teach their own because um, a lot of patients will come to me with that as well. And, and what I say is, yes, but have you tried plant-based? Have you tried it? Give it a try. And most people, you know, just a week of eating like a salad for yeah. like a one meal change, um, eating salad, a big bowl of salad 
once a day and they are feeling so energetic, so light. The gas and bloating has decreased. Um, They're able to go to the bathroom without any support. Like, I think these are huge lifestyle um, impacts and people don't realize that like, wow, their life can change with a simple meal. And that just goes to show how profound um, it is to be able to eat plant-based. And we're so lucky we live in a society where we have access to these fruits and vegetables and a wide variety of them. There's people in the world who don't even have that. Um, But yeah, I I mean, I I can't even stress how um, thankful I am to have that access, but also like it, it is so profound and I, and you see that, uh, like every patient has almost experienced the same thing, that energy, that difference in lifestyle with changes. And, and it's great you bring up energy because energy is more than just physical, right? There's the emotional, there's the spiritual component of it as well. And, and I remember reading a book, um, where I think it was called, it, it said, uh, that every 60, seconds there's billions of animals that are you know slaughtered and and killed in in the u.s alone and um and then forward from that you know at at my nonprofit at at divinity as part of the research program uh we've done a a couple of pieces of research and and we were doing um and an interview with um a an animal rights activist who's also studied um uh, you know, animal studies and, and socio-psychological, physiological impact on slaughterhouse workers. And she's based in, her name is Mariana uh, Corbeo, and, and she's based in uh, Mexico. And, and she wrote a paper talking about how, um, you know, workers in the meat processing industry tend to be more, more communities of color than not, and, and they tend to suffer from trauma themselves. They tend to suffer from PTSD and a lot of them consume, you know, meat, maybe consuming meat as well um, and not have, uh, you know, access to fresh produce and and the profound variety that we're talking about. So indeed, you know, uh, those of us, even in this country who are able to afford it and have access to these things um, have to be grateful. There's no way. Um, But then close to 110 million Americans actually live in distressed and at risk zip codes in this country. And there's there is a third world. And, you know, there is a word used like food deserts to describe the situation that they unfortunately find themselves in. So talk to me a little bit around the energetic shifts um, emotionally or spiritually that might, you know, that people might, or your parents might experience, your patients might experience um, when they make this shift towards a plant-based diet. So it's so interesting that you bring this up and and thank you for sharing that research because um, in in large group seminars, so I I will speak um, from one example, Um, I had attended this like big seminar, it was on Zoom, and one of the topics that had come up was plant-based eating. And um, it, was, it was just incredible to see the comments and hear people share their experience when they left meat. Um, their, the energetics of the body almost lifted. That's, that's how they experienced it. And that's how they shared it. And, and it makes sense because, yes, the slaughter, the PTSD associated with with that, it's it's almost like you're watching a violent movie, right? Going on and like that stress that you're experiencing, it it builds up over time, and you, there's no way to really release that because then you're eating that very thing that, you know, if we're experiencing that just watching the animals being slaughtered, think about them and what how they must be feeling. So now we're um, we're absorbing their emotions, and also most of them are given so much steroids and other antibiotics and all of that and we're consuming all all of these things that don't support us actually have they have been showing to impact younger and younger women um, PCOS and 
metabolic disease and diabetes and and why because of these external growth hormones and these external antibiotics that we're taking in we don't even need these these antibiotics and then our gut flora isn't working properly because we're constantly killing them um, with the antibiotics that we're getting through these foods so it's just like a multi-layered and multi-level um issue that's built up but it was really um it was really nice and heartwarming for me to see that so many people that weren't the same color as me and the same you know the same culture as me because i think a lot of western cultures don't have that growing up we had that growing up that like we don't eat meat and it's just it's not never something that's crossed my mind like but it's it's so it was so heartwarming and empowering to see um, people who are not my skin color and from the culture, um, really, really taking that time um, to reflect on how powerful it was to leave eating meat, feeling that energy, of course, at that spiritual level as well, um, and and just feeling good. They, the way they described it is, I just feel better, like overall. So yeah, right. it's definitely not just physical energy, but mental, spiritual, um, every which way. Yes, absolutely. It's it's just such a profound energetic shift, and and you know I'm just going to bring up a uh, a graphic here. Uh, you know, you mentioned to us that you know this is a typical you know type of a person who would um, actually uh, you know come to you, approach you, and 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 so you spoke about cultural constructs, mm-hmm. right? So if somebody who has um, who um, you know, comes from a culture that promotes vegetarianism, for example, or eating mostly plant-based foods. Um, you know, it, it's a very different experience for the doctor. But when you have somebody from a culture, or maybe you know, uh, their microculture, or just their family insisted upon you know receiving their nutrients from mm-hmm. animal-based foods, how do you talk to such patients? What is your approach? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So, and I have run into this a few times. um, And in school, I feel like I ran into this a lot, um, because I wasn't necessarily able to just prescribe plant based, even though that's what I wanted to prescribe. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting to see at that time, because whether or not one believes in plant based uh, nutrition, we all know all scientists know um, that eating fruits and vegetables um, is going to overall promote better health. And that's just a very simplified statement that I made, but but that's what it comes down to. Um, and so when people come to me, it's usually because of money. They're not able to afford the organic produce um, or the, the healthier foods, or they tell me like, yeah, but I can get a burger for like, I can get five burgers for the price of one salad. And I'm like, yeah, that's unfortunately very true. And so that's when I have to really start using my health coaching skills and, and start from scratch. So we go through, you know, their weekly budget, and then we go through um, where they shop and what types of foods they enjoy eating. And then we start with like, frozen foods, because I think frozen vegetables, um, frozen fruit are still um, they don't have as much antibiotics and pesticides and all of that. And I and I educate them that here, like, you can't necessarily afford organic, which is the best. But if you cannot do that, that's okay. There's other options that will get you started in the right direction. And, and usually it takes a few weeks um, for that mindset to shift, but it works. Um, And and then it's almost like, you know, they will, that confidence is just there because they feel better (laughs) and they, they report themselves like, oh, I lost weight. Oh, I feel more energetic. Like, um, my gut feels better, things like that. So, right. So the health economics piece is really important, you know, to talk yeah. to people about and, and to start with the budgeting process and, and to um, somehow demonstrate that plant-based eating on a budget is possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. That That is great. Um, I want to, you know, talk a little bit about, um, you know, the so cooking is really important and a lot of people over generations over years and with convenience dinners and you know convenience foods available so much and you can just drive through and and get that burger like your patient mentioned um and and cooking is really important cooking skills have been lost 
right? Talk to us a little bit about cooking skills, you know, and, and obviously to, to preach, you've got to practice it yourself. So, you know, do you enjoy cooking? Do you, did you have to learn how to cook? Um, were you a natural at it? Uh, how, how did that work? And talk to us about the importance of culinary techniques, uh, you know, that patients need to develop to sustainably eat plant-based. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. I was just talking to a friend yesterday saying that like I wish they would do I we had a little bit of culinary um, exposure in high school but and he did not and so it was it was funny we were talking about the importance of really including that early on in life so kids are engaged um, in that cooking process because kids are you know they're an open slate if you teach them and you you allow them to get hands on they are on board and they are going to be I think you know I think if I had to choose which population to work with um, to inspire this change, I think I would choose kids because they are going to be the population who then inspire their own parents, um, how to eat healthier and like what, what things need to be changed so that they can sustain a healthier lifestyle, both for themselves and the earth as well. Um, so, so going back to that question, yes, I, I think cooking skills are so, so necessary. Um, I, I happen to learn or get involved in cooking, I would say because of my allergies, um, because I couldn't eat what most people ate. And it, and yeah, like growing up, you know, it, it bothers you because you're different or you have to eat differently than other people. Um, but that got me into um, really experimenting with um, different recipes and using ingredients as substitutes for the typical, like the nuts and, and things that I was allergic to. And and finding that like, hey, this is actually really fun. It's stress um, stress relieving and it, it kind of um, piques my creativity. So for, you know, it has profound impacts in, in all of those realms, of course, but I think the, the most impactful was just reconnecting to Mother Earth through cooking, right? Like you're picking up these vegetables and, and cutting them. And of course, um, feeling the different textures, the flavors, the tastes, and, and understanding like what a carrot tastes like. And it's so sweet, um, so juicy. And, you know, most people just saute it or have it like with hummus or have it with a lot of like salt and other things that kind of take away from the natural flavor of these fruits and vegetables. So me being able to do that was really profound, I think, in continuing my like nutrition journey and then um, being able to become a health coach too, because my interest in, in cooking and nutrition kind of led me through that path. Yes, and, and um, it's incredible, you know, that as a child um, or even at high school, you had culinary exposure because a lot of people don't, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then they struggle. And then when things are just um, pre-made for them, they're packaged, um, they're, you know, their food comes from a manufacturing plant and not necessarily from a plant. And, and a lot of them are not able to distinguish certain vegetables you know um uh, i've heard of people saying oh i've never had kale before i started eating like this i, I never realized that okra existed you know unless you you you're from certain corners of the world where that's a vegetable that grows around and it's part of your culture maybe right and and um or uh, eggplants uh, i don't know what to do with an eggplant except just to saute it and or barbecue it with tons of oil on it um or butter on it you know and, and so on. Um, so culinary education is really, really important. Now, when you work with your patients, um, do you incorporate, just like you incorporate the budgeting process, mm -hmm. um, is there a culinary module that people get to taste? Um, not officially. Um, it's something that I am actually um, really inspired to work on and, and incorporate um, Hopefully in the near future, I can have videos to demonstrate that as well. But um, but but you asked a good question because yes, a lot of them will ask like, so how do I prepare this? And I'm like, oh, it's just simple. Just steam it and eat it. Uh, and that's it. Or like cut it up, steam it and eat it. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you can add spices to it. Um, you know, adding the turmeric or, or um, basil or oregano or things like that. But I also do go through like a, how to saute things or what oils to use um you know the high the high heat uh stable oils versus 
not so much um, and things like that just just to educate and empower and and make it seem more simple than than it sometimes it is in their heads because a lot of people you know when they are thinking about change it becomes like this unsurmountable mountain to climb um, but it's really not it's it's really going back to the basics and and really going back to simplicity which we're so far removed from in our culture in our daily basis right and and also sort of reducing that sympathetic reaction to um, sympathetic nervous system reaction to oh am I now needing to cook and meal plan and chop all these vegetables but to really nudge them toward that behavior change and make it seem as, as though they're simple you know it, it's just a it's it's not a bear it, it's just a bowl of fruit you know exactly. yeah and and it's it's really going back to less is more yeah. um, we we are in a culture in a society that like more is respected or more like dressing up more being more um you know more active at work or working longer hours and and all of these things are not actually healthy for us our self-esteem our spiritual growth our mental growth um it's these things are unfortunately what people are looking for and when you go back to the basics you realize that like you're worried about things that should not even affect you and your own mental health and therefore physical health can be impacted in such a positive way once you start letting go and and come back to the roots almost absolutely you know very um, well said um i wanted to talk about panch karma with you you know you briefly mentioned it and um i, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh you know panch karma and do you recommend it do you do you think that this is uh, something that your patients have benefited from um what it so help us understand what is panch karma what does it mean yeah so panch karma using the five um you know the the elements the different aspects of of healing um essentially and it's an ancient ayurvedic practice um from generations ago and it was my like i have to give it credit because it was my window to holistic medicine and feeling somewhat good after so many years and i feel like that's the healthiest i ever felt um, after doing punch karma um, but it also opened the doors to more learning about my own body and my own health and realizing how dairy does not work for my body at all and and why you know veganism came into my life but um punch karma itself is like what modern i guess modern holistic medicine uh, refers to as like detox or cleansing um, programs. So it's it's a very structured way of um, getting rid of toxins in the body. So you start with a sauna and massage for the first few days, and that's to really remove all the gunk that's like stuck in your the deep layers of your muscles um, and your body, and, and you're really tweezing it out so that that therapeutic massage and the steam um, allows for your skin pores to open so toxins can actually get out and be eliminated because we only have a couple of mechanisms to um, eliminate the waste from our body. So skin is the most um, profound and the biggest organ that we have to be able to do that. So um, you're basically getting your ready prepped um, for the next part, which um, is drinking ghee for several days. And of course, that's dairy. And, you know, this this process, it can be um, modified in, in different ways because, um, you know, we want to promote that vegan aspect and not have to worry about consuming dairy. Um, and then you're then I remember giving being given like a cup of castor oil. Um, probably not a full cup because that's dangerous to have, but mixed with some other herbs. And you're literally for a whole day just eliminating toxins. And and that, um, you know, it worked. It, it helped to get rid of whatever was, you know, at that time affecting my body. Uh, my skin was glowing. My skin was as healthy as it's been. Um, but But the whole process actually 
brought to light something that I realized is so important to do even on a daily basis, that cleansing, that massaging, these simple things that we don't actually give importance to. Um, if we do it regularly, like the lymphatic drainage, for example, is all about massaging the body to be able to make sure the lymph is being drained properly. Um, so you're able to eliminate the toxins properly as well. Um, and then eating healthy. Um, while we were doing punch karma, we were on a special diet, like very simple, very, very simple eating because the body's whole focus is to eliminate the toxin. So all we want to do is support that natural process. So, you know, that's something that we can do on a daily basis too. We can be mindful. Some people do juice cleanses and, you know, all of that stuff. I don't even think sometimes that's necessary. We can do it just by incorporating that healthy lifestyle and being mindful of what we eat. So majority of our diet consisting of fruits and vegetables already puts you in that place that the body doesn't have to worry about now, like digesting um, and it's more able to focus on things like getting rid of the toxins right. so I think punch karma it's an ancient ancient practice that you know it, it's helped millions of people but now when we're in a culture that doesn't necessarily um, revolve around that ancient I guess like the constructs we can modify it into ways um, even on a daily basis or in a like time constructed way in different centers and and get the benefits out of it and are people to get um access to panchkarma in the united states are there, there are healing centers in new jersey where i live there's actually two um not too far from me i personally have not tried them um mostly because you know then having to consume the dairy and and all of that and and the fact that I feel like I have the tools in the toolbox now to be able to do it myself mm -hmm. and to help educate other patients to do the same. Um, but yeah, there there's centers in um, New York as well. One big one, Yuvan or Yo one that just opened up as well. So that's a big Ayurvedic um, facility. All right. I, I guess we just need to look for a vegan punch karma facility then. And, and I'm pretty sure a vegan entrepreneur, you know, yeah. <laughs> is, is listening and, and probably has already uh, created one. Um, okay. Let's talk about your other uh, superpower. I hear that you're a professional dancer, Dr. Vera. Yeah. So that's, I guess my previous life was dance. Um, uh, yeah, so I grew up dancing since the age of four, um, and then I, I trained professionally in Odissi and Bharatnatyam, and I did my, um, what you call like your recital in Odissi, and since then I guess I've... I've I think it's called like an Ar Arangaretram. Arangaretram, yeah. In, in Odissi we call it a Manch Pradesh. Okay. Um, and then in, in school, in, in Barnard, I actually also majored in dance as well. Uh, while doing the pre-med track. So I, I did a lot of dance. Um, and it, it was it was amazing to learn the history of dance around the world, of you know, what it means at the movement level. And and I had a very interesting course that actually taught about the movement and interpreting movement. Um, and that inspired me to write about dance movement therapy for my thesis, both in undergrad and medical school. So in exploring how dance, you know, is therapeutic, because for me, it's been my therapy, my only therapy, to, natural therapy to go to. And, you know, you're moving, you're, you're producing endorphins, you're just activating your sacral chakra, like it's, it's healing in, in all ways. Um, I knew I could use it for patients and, and in my research for my theses, um, I, I learned that it actually can be very powerful for um, spectrum disorders and even um, neurodegenerative di diseases like Parkinson's. So that's where I'm at. Wow, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of creativity obviously that's involved and, you know, this is part of expression therapy. You know, mm -hmm. Art is part of expression therapy, performing arts even more so because it involves that physical movement. Um, so, you, you know, have you ever, obviously, you know, amongst the six pillars of lifestyle medicine, you know, there's uh, movement is a big uh, one. Um, 
how do you talk to your patients about movement? And, and given your history and background uh, and you know, professional understanding and expertise in dance, um, how, how do you bring it to people? How are you using it in, in your work at this point? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I mean, I, I always emphasize the importance of movement. And I ask, like, even on my questionnaire, um, prior to meeting with the patient, I will ask them what their physical activity looks like, what are things they do to de-stress, because oftentimes those uh, parallel. Um, and yeah, I am finding more and more, you know, people are doing the nine to five office job or they're working from home because of COVID and they're not moving. And and like then they have low back pain or sacral chakra issues. And and whether you're doing, you know, whether you're doing the scientific reasoning or the more abstract reasoning, it kind of comes back to the same thing. We're not able to express ourselves. And, and I and I say that and I emphasize how important it is for our brain to be able to move, um, to produce those endorphins, to get that energy, to get that heart rate up, to sweat. It's important for our skin uh, because if we're sweating and then we're getting the, the toxins out that way, you know, it's, it's a multi, um, I guess it has a multifold impact on our health. And yeah, I, I introduce like baby steps because oftentimes people are afraid to make larger changes, even if it's just going for a walk. Um, so I, I work with patients with baby steps, um, I would say, and start small and gradually increase because it's kind of like with the diet too, with nutrition as well. Once they see that it's helping them, uh, they wanna do it more. Why, why not do more of what is working? Absolutely. Yes. So it's all about creating that mind-body practice, reconnecting to the healing powers of food, movement, breathing, um, expressing yourself. And, and this is, uh, you know, what your naturopathic um, medicine practice is all about, Dr. Vera. Um, before we close, I would love for you to take us through, you know, a a minute of breathing, if you if you can, and um, and I also know that you you have produced some live, you know, uh, conversations and interesting, um, you know, content on your um, Instagram, and I just wanted to ensure that our viewers had all the information. Um, please go check out Dr. Vera on Instagram at Dr. Dot. Mansi Vera, and you started those in March of this year. Okay, so, and we'll have more information, you know, on our way um, out from this conversation, but now I think it's time for some breathing. All right, okay, so just a quick few rounds of breathing we'll do together. Um, you can find a space, whether you're sitting right in your chair or on the floor or even lying down and gently start by closing your eyes and just taking a couple of regular deep breaths in and out. And imagine this white light coming from the top of your head, channeling through your body all the way to your feet. And this white light is grounding you and energizing you at the same time and preparing you for the breath work we are about to begin. So I'd like to ask you to place your right hand on your heart and your left hand on your abdomen. And as we do the breathing, try to feel the rising of the chest and the abdomen and the falling. And as we do the breathing, Try to have the breath come from where your left hand is, all the way down from your diaphragm. Uh, 
I will be counting to four on the inhale and back from four on the exhale. Inhale, one, two, three, four, hold. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. And you can put your hands on your lap, keep your eyes closed for a moment and breathe regularly. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. That was beautiful, Dr. Vera. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your wisdom and about naturopathic medicine. Thank you so much, Nivi, for having me and for this amazing opportunity. And I wish you best of luck with your projects and the impact that you're building throughout the world. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you on the flip side. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.